But to me, Athena was more than an octopus. She was an individual who I liked very much, and possibly also a portal. She was leading me to a new way of thinking about thinking, or imagining what other minds might be like. And she was enticing me to explore in a way I had never before, my own planet, a world of mostly water, which I hardly knew. Welcome back to Zoo Notable. I'm PJ with ZooFit, and this month we're exploring the big blue, beautiful world in honor of World Oceans Month. And this week we're delving into another book from one of my favorite authors, Cy Montgomery, and her book, The Soul of an Octopus. I'm fascinated by Cy's range when it comes to her stories. She has written about her pet pig with The Good Good Pig. She's written about tarantulas, snow leopards, tapers, hummingbirds, and even a compilation of with how to be a good creature, sharing mem memories of her adventures when writing these incredible stories. Now this book, as you've guessed by the title, delves into the world of the octopus. Not just one, but four octopuses that made an impact on Sai's life and affected her way of thinking about intelligence and her connections to all creatures, focusing on empathy and our similarities rather than our differences. Now, I actually read three books before, uh, before The Soul of the Octopus. They're all on ocean conservation, and none of them resonated the way that this book on octopuses gave me the, those goosebumps and those chills. So I hope you enjoy it, and if you're ready, let's dive on in with The Soul of the Octopus. We'll start with big idea number one, a new way of thinking, what it's like to be an octopus. Quote, what is it like to be a bat? The American philosopher Thomas Nagel famously asked in his 1974 essay on the subjected nature of consciousness. And many philosophers might argue that to be a bat is not like anything. For according to some, animals do not experience consciousness. A sense of self is an important component of consciousness, one that a number of philosophers and researchers claim ant humans have, but animals don't. Nagel concluded, like Wittgenstein before him, that it's impossible to know what it's like to be a bat. After all, a bat sees much of its world using echolocation, a sense that we do not possess and can hardly imagine. How much further from our reach is the mind of an octopus? And yet I still wondered, what is it like to be an octopus? Now, Sive provides quite a few engaging but educational tidbits throughout her story on octopuses. For example, the plural of octopus is octopuses, not octopi. But the, the most intriguing information was the way Sai found common ground between us. This is, again, us humans who live on land, are vertebrates, and are incredibly intelligent. And them, again, them being mollusks who live in the sea and don't have bones or hair and are incredibly intelligent. It's these insight, insightful explorations that help us understand the octopus not as the octopus, but as a fellow creature. And I felt a deep amount of empathy from reading this book. 
and Sai shared ways that she helped others develop empathy as well. For example, Ew, I bet it feels gross if you touch it, said a teenage girl. She is one of a pack of three, all tight jeans and short jackets and thick eye makeup. I turned to face the speaker. Her young face is contorted with revulsion. But look, I say, did you see her eggs? I point to the forest of tiny white globes hanging from the ceiling of her lair. They're all eggs. There are thousands of them, and she's taking such good care of them all. No way, said the girl who first spoke. Way cool, says one of her friends. Their expressions soften. I share a few facts about octopus that I hope will interest and impress them. I tell them about Octavia's venom, her beak, her camouflage, but the girls grow silent, their young faces stony. I'm losing them. They don't want to hear how Octavia is different from us. They want to know how we're the same. They know what it's like to have an itch. They can imagine what it's like to be a mother. This brief encounter will change them. Now they can identify with an octopus. Now it's true that we have a need to know how we're alike. How can I connect with this animal? What can the octopus teach me about myself? And it was startling for me to realize as Sai progressed through her discussion on each octopus as Athena, Octavia, like in this previous passage, Kali, and Karma, that she was also discovering things about herself. Her love for the ocean grew as her heart welcomed these strange, mysterious creatures who, when we delve into a new way of thinking, we discover are so much like us. There's this new way of thinking how we are alike rather than focusing on our differences and seeing what it must be like to be an octopus that provides such empathy. Not just for the individual octopus, but for the species, the giant Pacific octopus, for the family of all octopuses, and, you know, for the ocean in general. By the time we say goodbye to Octavia, who is passing due to old age at about four years old, we, like Sai and all her human aquarium friends, want to do what is best for her. Quote, we owed Octavia repose in her old age. Shy at first, she had opened up to us and we'd won her over. I remember so well the first time she had briefly extended the tip of one arm to friend Liz's finger. I remember the first time she chose to interact with me and nearly pulled me into the tank. Octavia made us all laugh when she managed to seize a bucket of fish unseen while no fewer than five people were watching her. Octavia's touch had eased Anna through the agony of losing her best friend. We had a history together for sharing with us her surprising revelatory life, we owed Octavia comfort and respect at its end. And I really think this is very poignant. Our lives are also just too short to let petty differences divide us. It's not a them and us. It's a we. As in, we are a part of the same planet. We both have needs and desires. We have so much more in common than our differences want us to realize. And if we can find that common ground between mollusks like octopus and us, humans, then certainly we can find common humanity between each other. And it does take a new way of thinking. It takes learning about each other. It takes seeing things as the other might see them, building empathy and compassion for each other so that we can care for and respect each other and see the similarities rather than all the differences.
And big idea number two is in the flow or octopus time. Quote, how long did we stay with Athena? It's impossible to say. Of course, we had removed our watches before plunging our arms into the water. Once we did, we entered what we called octopus time. Feelings of awe were, are known to expand the human experience of time availability. So does flow, the state of being fully immersed in focus, involvement, and enjoyment. Meditation and prayer, too, alter time perception. And there's another way we alter our experience of time. We, as well as other animals, can mimic another's emotional state. This involves mirror neurons, a type of brain cell that responds equally whether we're watching another perform an action or whether we're performing that action ourselves. If you're with, for example, a calm, deliberate person, your own perception of time may begin to match his. Perhaps as we stroked in the water, Athena's, we entered Athena's experience of time, liquid, slippery, and ancient, flowing at a different pace than any clock. And welcome to what Sai calls octopus time. It's not too far off from what Mihai Csikszentmihalyi tells us we experience when we are in the flow state. Time is different in these states in octopus time. Now for Sai, putting her hands in 47 degree water and interacting with a silky, slippery, suction cup covered friend for perhaps minutes or maybe hours, this let her enter the timeless trance of octopus time. For my husband, octopus time is getting in the flow of a new painting, developing a new skill and mastering older ones. Now for me, I experience octopus time whenever I scuba dive. And when I'm entering that watery world where I have no sense of time, only focusing on my breath and the magical wonder surrounding me. And even when I was scuba diving for work and cleaning underwater habitats, I still felt that flow. I also feel octopus time when I'm with friends, when I'm out in nature, and when I'm experiencing an exhilarating and fun workout. How about you? Where can you experience octopus time, that state of flow where time seems to dissolve and you can spend hours without concern for what you're doing? And how can you experience this a little bit more? How can you experience it a little bit more often? And can you spend some time for octopus time starting today? Big idea number three is measuring intelligence. Quote, belonging to a group is one of humankind's deepest desires. We're a social species like our primate ancestors. Evolutionary biologists suggest that keeping track of our many social relationships over our long lives was one of the factors driving the evolution of the human brain. In fact, intelligence itself is often associated with similarly social and long-lived creatures like chimps, elephants, parrots, and whales. But octopuses represent the opposite end of the spectrum. They are famously short-lived, and most do not appear to be social. Jennifer, an octopus psychologist, says, The same thing that got them their smarts is not the same thing that got us our smarts. Okay, so along with changing our way of thinking, I feel it's time we stop using our normal methods for determining intelligence. Now, Albert Einstein was once attributed to saying everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing it is an idiot. The thing is, octopus are super smart. They're much, much smarter than many could possibly believe a mollusk without a backbone living in the depths of the sea could possibly be. 
Octopuses have preferences and personalities. And I actually recommend reading The Soul of the Octopus to find out more. There's just way too many stories to share examples. Octopuses, even those in their natural habitat, have been known to recognize individual humans. Most scientists hypothesize that these incredible animals differentiate us by, get this, how we taste. They use their suckers to taste their environment and can discriminate between objects, people, and other exhibit inhabitants based on feeling them and by tasting them. The Psy hypothesizes that if the tables were turned somehow and octopuses were studying us, how stupid would they rank us? We can't taste with our fingers. We can't change color or texture to better blend in with our environment. We can't fit through small openings to escape places and gain access to places for survival, food, or just plain fun. And it shows me that just because there are differences doesn't make one smart or dumb. It's just like big idea number one. We need to change our thinking on how animals think and how others think. And if the tables were turned, they might find our perceptions and intelligence lacking as well. Big idea number four is feeling at home with water, the ocean, aquarium, and in nature. Quote, Anna, like all teenagers, feels misunderstood too. At home, her fish, plus her blue-tongued skink, Layla, help her find some peace. But it wasn't until she started volunteering at the aquarium that she felt truly whole. The people here are as different from regular people as an octopus. I feel at home here, Anna says, speaking for all of us, like I belong. Now, I, too, remember the first time I ever went snorkeling. It was in the Bahamas. My mom rented a snorkel, and she must have given me some sort of rudimentary lesson, but I don't remember those lessons, because as soon as I stuck my face in the water and I saw that rainbow of colors swirling and swimming, I cried out through the snorkel, oh boy, and took off like one of those brightly colored fish. I felt I was finally home. It's memories like those, like snorkeling, going to SeaWorld for the first time, watching The Little Mermaid, and wanting more than anything to switch places with Ariel. And also, later on, getting scuba certified. These things kept, keep my love for the ocean strong. And Anna is not alone, far from it. Even Sai herself has experiences at the aquarium that lead Sai to seek out getting scuba certified. And her description of her first time diving to Cozumel pretty much mirrors my own when I was first introduced to the ocean as a child. Quote, I have known no natural state more like a dream than this. I feel elation cresting into ecstasy and experience bizarre sensations. My own breath resonates in my skull. Far away sounds thump in my chest. Objects appear closer and larger than they really are. Like in a dream, the impossible unfolds before me, and yet I accept it unquestioningly. Beneath the water, I find myself in an altered state of consciousness where the focus, range, and clarity of perception are dramatically changed. Is this what Kali and Octavia feel like all the time? Sai also shares the view of another octopus fan, Roger, in Seattle, who attends the octopus blind date at the Seattle Aquarium. Roger was living at a shelter, having lost his home, his mother, and his job. And when he met Sai at the blind date event, he shared her experience and why octopuses mean so much to him. 
Of all the animals at the aquarium, the octopuses are Roger's favorite. Going here is almost meditative, he says. Living in the world is hard being emotional, but being with these guys gives me peace. Recently, he'd been offered a home in a friend's apartment, so better days are at hand. Having the peace of being with these guys, he tells me, has lent me the time to have something good like that happen to me. Now, I can completely relate to Sai, to Anna, and to Roger. The sea, the ocean, the creatures that call the great big watery world their home, they give me a sense of peace that I rarely feel anywhere else. But if I've learned one thing, it's that there is no one-size-fits-all for health and well-being, whether that be physical, mental, or emotional. So my question for you is this. Do you have a sacred place where you feel at ease, as though you finally found where you belong? It doesn't have to be the ocean, but it probably is going to be somewhere in nature. And I urge you to visit today, next weekend, or make plans to get there soon. Go there and feel rejuvenated. Go to feel whole and to feel that sense of calming peace. Because when we feel better about ourselves, that's when we can do better. And let's get feeling better starting today. And finally, we have big idea number five, what the aquarium means to me. Quote, Ken, the shipper who sent this small octopus to the Boston Aquarium, was glad for the news of our octopus. I'm glad to hear she's doing how she's doing, he told me. I love them all. So how does he feel about capturing animals in the wild and sending them to a life in captivity? He has no regrets. They're ambassadors from the wild, he said. Unless people know about and see these animals, there will be no stewardship for octopuses in the wild. So know that they're going to an accredited institution where they're going to be loved and where people can see the animal in its glory. That's good. And it makes me happy. I admit, I was actually thinking about just stopping at big idea number four and calling it a day, but this quote really actually resonated me and it reminded me it's because I believe the same thing about even about charismatic megafauna like elephants, dolphins, gorillas, and of course, octopuses. Why am I okay with animals, quote unquote, living in captivity? It's, it's complicated, but it's also pretty personal. I became a conservationist by visiting a marine life park and seeing animals perform in an inspiring show. Not I wanted to work with animals, not I came to love animals. I became a conservationist by visiting that marine life park and seeing animals perform. And I feel confident in exclaiming that I cannot be the only one. I know that I'm not the only one. Zoological facilities help visitors develop empathy, compassion, and love for their animals. These are the building blocks for conservation. For me, seeing marine animals up close and personal helps inspire me to, or helped inspire me to stop using products with six, plastic six-pack rings a campaign for dolphin safe tuna. It helped inspire me to eliminate plastic bags and plastic straws and, and so much more. I became a conservationist because of my experience of seeing animals in human care. And yeah, I admit an octopus might be a little different from a dolphin and it's vastly different from an elephant. But as I've learned from this book, it's not about the differences. It's about how they are the same. These animals are ambassadors. They teach people about these animals, sure, but they do so much more. The soul of the octopus takes place mostly at the Boston Aquarium on the East Coast, involving the giant Pacific octopus, a species found only 
and Pacific Northwest waters. Many people on the East Coast would never get to know what a giant Pacific octopus even is, much less care about it, if they weren't in facilities like the Boston Aquarium. Some aquariums like Seattle have local species to highlight our big blue backyard, but even in Seattle, many of these species are collected for display right under the dock the aquarium sits on. Now, is captivity a complicated topic? Absolutely, and not something we can cover in a five-minute segment on a podcast. There are plenty of other podcasts who have delved into this topic, though, like Safari, Zoologic, and Aquatazoo. I'll share the links to these podcasts in the description. But the purpose isn't the same antiquated uh, entertain me with dancing monkeys philosophy anymore. Accredited institutions care about the animals, and they care about the difference they are making in the natural world. That is why the animals are there. That is why zookeepers, aquarists, and animal trainers provide exemplary care each and every day to protect and conserve the species and inspire their community to learn, care, and act. In addition with being World Oceans Month and Pride Month, it's also Zoo and Aquarium Month. So, as a final call for action, I urge each of you to visit your local zoo, your local aquarium, or your local nature center and learn about an animal that is foreign to you. I urge you to get connected, not just to the animal, but to yourself and all of our wild neighbors in a healthy and positive way. Thanks again for joining me in my exploration of Cy Montgomery's Soul of an Octopus. If you enjoyed this Notable, I know you'll love the book. Grab yourself a copy and find it at your local library. Uh, keep being curious, keep learning and growing, and I'll catch you all next time here on Zoo Notable. I'm going to close this out with a few quotes from Soul of the Octopus. This has been the worst summer of my life, Anna wrote me, but my days at the aquarium have been the best days of my life. I've learned, she said, expressing a wisdom way beyond her years, that happiness and sadness are not mutually exclusive. Sai says, if I have a soul, and I think I do, an octopus has a soul too. And Sai closes her book by saying, I still have so many questions. What goes on in Karma's head or those, the larger bundle of neurons in her arms when she sees us? Do her three hearts beat faster when she catches sight of Bill, her keeper, or Wilson, her volunteer, or Krista, or Anna, or me? Would she feel sad if we disappeared? What does sadness feel like for an octopus or for anyone else for that matter? What does karma feel like when she pours her huge body into a tiny crevice of her lair? What does capelin taste like on her skin? I can't know this, of course, and I can't know exactly what I mean to her, but I know what she and Octavia and Kali have meant to me. They have changed my life forever. I loved them and will always love them, for they have given me a greater gift, a deeper understanding of what it means to think, to feel, and to know.